This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis, and happy Teacher Appreciation Week. You are listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. Meanwhile in Memphis is a program dedicated to conversations that celebrate the organizations, initiatives, and people that are shaping Memphis for the better. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you by us, New Memphis, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to develop, activate, and retain the city's most important resource, its people. Your hosts today are me, Anna Thompson, and my colleague, Rebecca Daly. Anna, I'm so excited about today's conversation. We are as Anna mentioned, celebrating Teacher Appreciation Week here in Memphis. And educators are essential leaders in our community as their impact and investment is critical to our city's future success. Their work is transformational to students, fellow educators, and Memphis as a whole. New Memphis celebrates educators all year long through Stride Leadership Program Development, Teachers Lounge Social Events, and with the Educators of Excellence Award, which are one of my favorite ways to talk about teachers. Absolutely. Um, Each year since 2018, New Memphis honors five educators who stand out as exceptional leaders. These educators are selected through an application process. Um, Their applications are reviewed. And then once selected, they are honored not only with accolades, but also with what everybody wants, a financial award. Award applications open in May each year, coinciding with one of the most important weeks of the year. Right now, Teacher Appreciation Week. In celebration of Teacher Appreciation Week, we are excited to welcome one of the 2022 Educators of Excellence to the show, Grant Monda. In today's conversation, we get to know Grant, his approach to growing as an educator, how education is woven into all parts of his life, not just the classroom, and what his hopes are for the future of education in Memphis. Grant Monda is the executive director of Aurora Collegiate Academy. Aurora was recently named the Tennessee Charter School of the Year and a reward school while also ranking third in the state for charter elementary schools by U.S. News and World Report. In addition to his work at Aurora, he sits on several education committees reviewing charters for the state of Tennessee and is the co-board chair of the Young at Heart for Dixon Galleries. Grant is a graduate of the New Memphis Embark and the New Memphis Fellows Programs, and in addition to being a 2022 Educator of Excellence honoree, he is also a 2022 honoree of the Teach for America Barbara Rosser Hyde Alumni Leadership Award. He met his beautiful wife, Brittany, when they were both 2010 core members for Teach for America, and now they have two wonderful daughters, Bertie and Maisie. Brittany is also passionate about education and was a Teach for America Barbara Rosser Hyde Alumni Leadership Award recipient as well. So they have that in common. She has transitioned out of the classroom in favor of serving Memphis Shelby County Schools, where she is an assistant superintendent overseeing approximately 20,000 students in 56 charter schools, including her husband's. (laughs) So we won't keep you waiting any longer for this great conversation. Here is our chat with 2022 Educator of Excellence, Grant Monda. Welcome, Grant. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you guys today? Pretty good. I can't complain. Happy Teacher Appreciation Week to you and all of your educators at Aurora. Cheers to the educators. Good. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to kind of represent the educators as a whole today. I love it. Yeah. Um, So... 
I was wondering if you could just start off by telling us your title and a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so Grant Monda, I'm the executive director at Aurora Collegiate Academy. Um, originally from Cleveland, Ohio, made my way down to Memphis to attend Rhodes College. Um, so graduated from Rhodes um, and started teaching through Teach for America and then have been here kind of ever since. Uh, met my wife here uh, and now we have two uh, little girls. So Memphis is really like my adult home. And I love it. Awesome. We're glad to have you. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> So, Grant, you mentioned that you didn't start out seeking education as a prof- uh, as a profession. You didn't major in education when you were at Rhodes. Uh, what did you major in, and how did that transfer into your teaching skills? Yeah, so I was a political science economics major, um, and so I'm not sure a ton of the skills <laughs> necessarily translate directly into the classroom per se, uh, but I think something that Rhodes did super well is that they taught us how to think. Right. And so I was able to take a lot of like complex ideas that you have to do when teaching, right? Breaking down a curriculum, understanding how to like communicate a lesson or a standard to a student. And that's where I think I was really able to utilize a lot of those skills. Yeah. So uh, Teach for America, talk to us a little bit about that. What what is that program? How do people get involved with it? Yeah. So Teach for America is a program where they take traditionally non-traditional teachers or people with non-traditional backgrounds and place them as teachers, uh, provide ongoing summer training as well as training throughout the year. Uh, National program, but they have a large presence here in Memphis. Um, So for me, I uh, taught for two years. I taught seventh grade social studies. I taught for several years, actually, but I taught for two years with uh, Teach for America, seventh grade social studies, and they take really a diverse group of people and kind of bring them together uh, and support them in a common mission and common vision of providing really high quality teaching and instruction for our students. Can you tell me a little bit about Aurora Collegiate Academy? Yeah, Great question. Uh, So Aurora is a kindergarten through fifth grade public charter school. Uh, We have about 330 students, relatively diverse for Memphis. We're about 70% Hispanic, about 30% African-American, and uh, high need, about 90% free and reduced lunch. And so if you hear public school and you're like, or public charter, and you're like, what does that mean? Yes. Right? So we are publicly funded. So the same way that tax dollars would flow to, uh, you know, a white station or Snowden, those tax dollars flow to Aurora through our students. We still follow all state, federal, local laws, uh, still take state exams at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have a little more autonomy in how we operate. So we have our own school board, which is made up of uh, volunteers that represent kind of various industries and skill sets within the community. We have autonomy in like our budget, our staffing models, like what curriculums we choose to utilize. Uh, so I describe it as like the X is on the wall. Uh, we just get to kind of pick the route and how we get there. Uh, but for our students, anyone can attend as long as you live in Shelby County. So no entrance exams, no fees, a true kind of public school, but no one's required to attend. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. It's... 
I'm intrigued now because of the the research that I did too on you. We were talking about how funny it is that I know so much about you already. That's right. Um, <laughs> That's right. But so your wife, Brittany, um, who also went through TFA with you. Um, so you mentioned that Aurora has its own kind of school board in that way, but your wife plays a very different role in our community, correct? Well, that's right. So we have our own school board, but we are authorized through Shelby County Schools. Um, And they really are there to ensure that we are meeting those requirements. Their job is to kind of put those safeguards in place. Uh, And so my wife, Brittany, is the assistant superintendent with Shelby County Schools, and she actually oversees all of the charter schools. Um, so oh. she likes to say she's my boss. I would like uh, to say that too, if I were. <laughs> That's so fun. She's my boss at home and at work. So, uh. so uh, you mentioned that Aurora is able to take a little bit of a different approach to serving students, and um, you know, I'm a little bit curious about what are some of the barriers that students in our community face that Aurora is helping to address. Yeah, so I think one of the biggest challenges is an access to early education. Um, I think the expectations for what kindergartners are expected to know has really shifted over the last even decade or so. Uh, I mean, I'm not particularly old, but growing up, like I went to a half-day kindergarten, and it was a lot of playtime. And so because of our students uh, maybe not attending preschool, they're coming in as someone might describe as like behind. So we really have to accelerate learning. One of the nice things that Aurora is able to do, because we're focused on the specific 330 students that walk through our doors on a daily basis, we're able to really tailor and individualize learning for our students. Um, So when we're putting a new policy in place, thinking about a new academic initiative, we're able to look and say like, how does this affect Angel in kindergarten, how's it affect Dylan in third grade, and how's it affect Ashley in fifth grade? And it really gives us that opportunity to be very specific about the instruction and the learning that our students are able to encounter. That's really special, and I think it takes education to a, to a different level, um, and it takes a real commitment. And one of the reasons that we wanted to speak specifically to you is because you are one of the educators of excellence. Um, Anna did a little bit of research and found out that you have a personal mission statement. Congratulations, by the Thank way, <laughs> uh, for being a 2022 Educator of Excellence Thank here you. in Memphis. Um, so in your application, you mentioned that your personal mission statement was, quote, figure it out. You added that you have learned that if you don't know an answer or a solution, it's your responsibility to figure it out. Um, So we're curious how you came to adopt this as your personal mission statement. Uh, I think I learned it early on in my teaching career, uh, where if I wasn't sure about something, I couldn't necessarily wait on finding if someone bringing me the answer, or the solution, and just learning through trial and error. Um, we talk a lot with our teachers around they are kind of like they are the teacher in the classroom, right? And so like we have a ton of supports at school, but like they are responsible for ensuring that our our students are learning. And so like we talk about just like figuring it out, working through things, practicing things, uh, and just kind of being um, flexible and adaptable so that you can meet the needs of students and being like ready for that next day. 
I feel like you and I are similar in that way. So mine isn't quite uh, figure it out, but I used to, I've adopted the uh, Project Runway Make It Work from Tim Guy. And so it was like, <laughs> these are these are the materials you have, make it work. That's right. That's so, right. yeah. And, and education, as we know, like we're historically underfunded, uh, under-resourced, and like you, you just got to take, sometimes we talk about like, you know, you stretch your quarter into 50 cents, right? And you just like make it work with what you're able to accomplish. Exactly. Uh, and so that doesn't mean ever lowering your standards or your expectations, but it's being creative around the solutions. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious if this kind of figure it out, make it work mindset kind of spills over into your personal life, being a two educator um, home with your wife, Brittany, um, or if it's kind of more of a strictly professional, like figure it out, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) make it work. uh, No, I think we both have that philosophy of like, we're here. Uh, for us, we talk, uh, we're, we don't have any family here. Uh, and so now raising, <laughs> raising two, two little, <laughs> two little girls, like we just kind of figure it out and we go with the flow and, uh, that's just kind of how you live your life. I think that's so special to have, uh, more than one educator in the household. Um, and I'm sure there are some conversations that happen on the regular about the wins that you guys experience. What do you celebrate as educators? Well, we try not to talk too much about it because otherwise we'd be just living in <laughs> education 24 uh, seven. It's definitely like uh, a career for us, but it's also a passion for us. Um, but we really, that's what we do try to focus on is the positives and the successes uh, that happen. Um, you know, education sometimes feels a little bit like a roller coaster, uh, but you can't live in the lows you can't live too much in the highs you gotta figure out where that kind of medium space is and uh i think that's what's helped us be successful kind of balancing both personal life as well as professional life i think that's you know such a positive outlook that or a realistic outlook yeah. and, I, and I, I think that's that's one of the reasons that we we wanted to talk with you um and in thinking through just the education sector um you know what makes an educator stand out what makes an educator excellent yeah i think that's a great question uh i think someone who is I think all of our teachers really are hardworking. No right? doubt. Uh, <laughs> yes. And so no I think question. sometimes there's perceptions of like, you know, summer vacation or Christmas vacation. Like I, that definitely like people take vacations and they like deserve those vacations. But like there's a lot of ongoing learning that's taking place during those times. So like I think our, edu- our educators and our teachers are like really hardworking. I think the other thing that uh, sometimes gets lost in the mix is how personal our teachers take their students like growth and development Uh, and they like really put that on their shoulders and like carry that Uh, and so it is trying right when you have 30 students or 25 students like who are going through all various different challenges of life Uh, and so like I credit our teachers with a lot of resiliency around uh, the work that they do as well I think that's what helps make them like truly like excellent um, you mentioned re- resiliency, which is yeah. something that I feel like we really <laughs> focus on. And I know that um, education 
PDs focus on all across the country, I'm sure, is that resiliency and stress resiliency because it is one of those professions that has a high rate of burnout, much like medical professionals in the last few years and things like that. So I'm curious what you have found as your own kind of little personal resiliency and oasis that kind of keeps you motivated to keep going even in the trenches when things are hard. Yeah. So you talk about kind of my saying or my motto, like uh, my wife has one where she talks a lot about like, just like, don't lose sight. Right. And I think like in any job or in any world or any life that you're living, like there's a lot of exterior things happening and like uh, the, things are kind of being thrown at you and just not losing sight on like what we're doing and what we're focused on. Uh, It's hard when there's a lot of like fires or emergencies. And that's where I think like you really start to feel like drained and burned out, but like not letting those emergencies, those fires like uh, cloud the vision of the work that you're doing. Uh, And so that's what I've found has been like personally uh, successful for me is being able to, not focus on the fires and not getting lost in the fog and really focusing on like what that clear long-term vision is. Um, So as a leader in education and at Aurora, um, how do you kind of help your other educators and your other staff at your school make sure that they're keeping that in the forefront as well? Well, it's hard. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's not easy. We try, I I tell people at Aurora, like I ask everyone, what do you want to do in the next five years? Right. And I want to know what their vision is. And I tell people like, if you want to retire at Aurora, we are going to make a sustainable work environment where you can come and like work really hard, but then like go home and have kids or not have kids, but like do whatever you need to do to like set yourself up. But then I also like, if you want to do something different in five years, like what skills do we need to support you in? So you could develop those skills and be prepared for those next opportunities. Uh, And I think that's really, I think helped kind of like pour into our staff. I think the other thing is, just treating our staff with a lot of respect uh, because not only as like humans they deserve it but because they're just working so hard Uh, and I think lastly like we're really lucky that we have just super engaged invested parents and so I think that also makes the work a little bit easier as well in the sense that like our parents want our school to succeed want to see their students succeed and want to see our teachers succeed and are really like partners in the work like that makes a huge difference. I mean, speaking about support systems and how it takes a village just in general to raise children so much less how much more that is um, in regards to schools and educators and everything that goes into the whole child and the well-being. Exactly right. Yeah. And out of out of curiosity, you know, are there some ways that we as individuals or we as a community can better support our educators? Especially during Teacher Appreciation Week, but not only during. Yeah, not just one week a year, but all the time. Well, yeah. So I think just like recognizing the work that our teachers do just kind of informally, I actually think goes a long way. Um, we, We Like our board members will occasionally just write like thank you notes. And it just, I think it means a lot to people. Um, I think like the other obvious way is like 
financial contributions to schools uh, and allowing schools to kind of use those funds to best support the school, I think is really valuable. We were lucky this year we uh, applied for a grant and were able to get a grant. And so we were able just to provide lunch once a week for our staff. Uh, and that was just like a way that, you know, why do people in San Francisco and tech companies and other places like get free food when like our teachers are doing such a valuable service as well? Like, why can't we show them that same level of like appreciation and support? Absolutely. I love that. It's always helpful to understand what help is actually helpful. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it would be very easy for each of us to find an educator and thank them at the very least. <laughs> I think, too, something that we've talked about is that you don't have to have a child or a child in school to be an active part of your community or neighborhood school, um, you know, offer your services to roll up your sleeves, well, you know, I mean, yeah, drop we, off cookies or whatever is available. A school could always use an extra playground monitor I mean, we're in elementary school we open doors for our students every day and put them back in cars in the afternoons like if a community member wants to come and volunteer to do that uh, or if they have more skills and they want to come in and do like tutoring or reading to students uh, you'd be surprised if you just went to a school and said like I'm interested in helping out like here's my availability like what do you need um, and so we partner with a really great organization called Arise to Read. Yeah. Uh, and so... For those who don't know or listening, can you share a little bit about what Arise to Read does? Yep. So they, um, they come in twice a week uh, for an hour and they work with, uh, you know, two to three students and they do basically one-on-one -on -one tutoring for those students in a reading curriculum. Uh, and so what's really great is uh, a lot of the individuals that are participating in that have very little like traditional teaching understanding or background. They do all that kind of training and support for them. And they're able to just come in and like execute and teach our students. And so what's really nice is not only are our students like building academic growth and understanding, but they're also building like a mentorship and a relationship with uh, an individual that in some ways like isn't required to care about them. Yeah. Right? It, it, it makes is, it more authentic, it, honestly. It makes it real yeah. authentic. And what I really like about the program and what we see at Aurora is like it runs a spectrum of like 24-year-old and 75-year-olds who are retired. Uh, and so it really gives our students an opportunity to like, interact with people outside of their community and within their community as well. And make those connections. That's so special. Yeah. yeah, it's really neat. So similarly as to how um, New Memphis is kind of always preaching that you don't have to have a, um, a child or, uh, to care about our school system, mm -hmm. I'm curious about why the average Memphian... Um, should care about, like you mentioned earlier, like the kindergarten readiness and the fact that those kind of expectations and standards have kind of shifted and evolved since, I mean, even you or I was in kindergarten. To your point, I think, you know, a lot of my kindergarten or pre-kindergarten was definitely more play focused and yeah. less about, you know, the hard academia. So understanding what that means for our city as a whole and why it impacts everybody. Yeah, I tell people all the time, like the biggest investment you can make in the city is investing in our students and education uh, because and this isn't like 
rocket science, but in 15 years or 20 years, like those are going to be the adults that are now driving the economy, driving the culture, driving the community. And so like we determine right now what that foundation looks like for them. And a lot of ways, like what that trajectory of success looks like for them. Uh, and so if you plan to live in Memphis for the next 20 years, whether you have children or not, uh, you want to be invested in high quality schools, educating students and preparing them, whether it's for a highly skilled trade, whether it's for college, whether it's for a career in the arts, right? Like it doesn't really matter what they end up doing. You just want to make sure that they're like academically prepared and really strong citizens. And so I think it's not only like all of our responsibilities, but we all benefit from it when it works really well. Absolutely. I feel like to your point, that literally made me think like their success is our success as a city. Like no matter where you live, even if you're not going to live in Memphis in 20 years, wherever you live in 20 years, the students of today will be those leaders. And so if we want a successful city, a successful future, it rests on us today making those investments. No doubt. Yeah. (laughs) So no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let me see. So you... um, You're fine. um, The New Memphis Educator of Excellence Award is not the only accolade that you have won in recent years. Um, You were the recipient of a special TFA award, were you not? I was, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about the, I believe it is the Barbara Rosser Hyde? That's right. Award? Yeah, for Um, TFA. So... uh, uh, TFA uh, gives an award every uh, every year to five individuals who are just making a difference in education here in Memphis, uh, and I was just selected for it and s- super grateful and humble for it. Um, I don't do things necessarily for like accolades, <laughs> right? Uh, that's not like what drives me, uh, but it is certainly nice to be Reckon. recognized yeah. for the work that we're doing. So um, in researching for that award, I did find a little video in which you said that the idea of the American dream is that anyone can achieve if we create equal starting lines. Yeah, and I believe that. Um, So how are you working to make those equal starting lines a reality today? Yeah, I mean, it starts in kindergarten, right? And we I've said it probably, if, I don't know if you're counting, foundation, <laughs> right? A, bu- a, a bunch of times, like, we, we sometimes, like, we do a hashtag, like, firm foundation, right? Like, the foundation starts in kindergarten for our students. Uh, one of the fun things that we do is all of our classrooms are named after the college alma mater of the teacher who teaches that class Um, and the classrooms have kind of college corners and it's not the idea that like the student ends up going to that college or university but it's really putting in their kind of understanding that this is a potential reality for them Uh, and it also communicates to our parents especially some who may may be new to the United States and new to kind of like the American education system like an understanding of what we're working ultimately working towards. Um, I think that if we're a nation built on the American dream, that uh, we have to live by it, and how we live by it is like investing and supporting education. Um, you have worked in the Heights and the Summer Avenue slash Berkeley area for more than a decade. That's right. Um, I live right near there and love oh, that community. Um, but I'm curious. What has been your experience and 
how does your school kind of operate as a community hub of sorts? Yeah, so I love the commute. I love that community. As you said, like I started teaching there and then left for a little bit and uh, came back. Uh, but I think it's a really like neat community and neat area and a really diverse part of the city um and i think it's a a part of the city that's continuing to like develop and change over the last several years and i think a lot of positive ways uh and so for us we wanted to be more than just like an eight to three school building organization uh and so we were lucky enough in 2020 to move into a new facility uh so we moved from about 9,000 square feet of modular buildings uh to uh almost a 55,000 square foot uh building which is really neat um our gym could have held our entire school with like 8,000 square feet (laughs) left over that's a big difference yeah um and so we were able to really like upgrade our facilities, and upgrade our learning environment. But like one of the things that we do is uh, we provide space to a group called Ballet on Wheels. So they're a nonprofit ballet group uh, that they provide lessons for students, I think, as young as six all the way up to like 18. Uh, and so after and evenings, uh, students and community members come and dance and participate and like utilize the space. And it's nice because we have some students that attend, but it's also just community, community members, members as well. That's so happy yeah. and fun. Yeah, yeah. education extending outside of the classroom. I think that's really unique and uh, what a cool thing for not only your students, but for the community that they're a part of. Absolutely. I agree. Um, I really do, again, to your point, love the Summer Avenue, Berkeley, the Heights kind of community. I know I'm like calling it three different names, but it is a very extensive community. And I really love the diversity that it brings to our city as a whole. Um a lot of my favorite restaurants are right there. A lot of my favorite venues, a lot of my favorite storefronts. Um, and so I get really excited to see a lot of really good things pouring in there. And I know that Aurora is one of them. Well, thank you. I tell people if they haven't visited Summer Avenue in a little while, like it really is developing and changing. I think like the good parts are staying and then like the new parts are adding to that. Yeah. Um, I know our staff is really excited. We're about a, a Th- uh, uh, stones throw away from a Starbucks now. Ooh. Uh, so wow! How I joke. Fancy. I joke that I could see who's going to be late if they're stuck <laughs> in the, stuck in the, <laughs> the parking lot. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, so I, my husband actually has a shirt that says uh, "Summer never ends; it just turns into North Parkway," <laughs> and it I has like, like a that. sunshine on That's it, fun. like to be like summertime. Um, but can you share um, a few of the common misconceptions about education here in our city? Yeah, I think that there's a perception that like it's so broken, there's no solution to fixing it and i think that that's a real pessimistic view of the schools and like what's capable uh i I definitely think that uh there's challenges or opportunities depending on how you kind of want to look at it uh but i don't think that it's beyond repair Uh, and i think that's a perception that i think sometimes people have of it uh it it definitely needs supports and i think that's kind of like my big takeaway that i've learned coming from maybe like both an outsider education and outsider to like memphis to like really starting to like 
be uh, a part of it uh, is I think that there's so many opportunities. We just need to be able to support those opportunities. So kind of on the flip side of that, what are some of the things that you think make Memphis so exceptional? Uh, I think that goes very hand in hand with that is uh, that people are willing to innovate. Uh, and are willing to generally try new things. Uh, I think sometimes we have short attention spans and, and like want some of that instant gratification when things take a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, but I, I've always just been inspired in how many opportunities like I've gotten to meet different people who are like, what can I do? How can we do this? Like, what do you think the challenges are? Like, what do you think we could do to tweak this? Like, I have this idea. What do you think about it? So I think people want to see it succeed and like are willing to be innovative and have unique ideas. Uh, we just need to start executing on some of those. In that same vein, as we think about the opportunities that are on the horizon, I'm curious what you're most hopeful about, not only for your school, but just education in general in our community. I am hopeful every day on the first day of school because it is like a brand new start, uh, not only for like our teachers, but also a brand new start for our students. Uh, and every year, like that optimism, like bubbles back up in me. Uh, and I hope I don't lose it too much towards the end of the year. But I think that's <laughs> like, it's never over. Right. Like it's just the next year and we have a new opportunity every year. So like if we're not happy with how things are going or if we don't think it's moving in the right direction, like we have the next year, like let's try things, let's change things. Let's see what works. Love that. Um, what is something that you wish the average Memphian understood about education and or educators in general? Yeah, and we may have already like brought this topic, but I, I think it's really hard. Uh, and I think that when I think about like what I want people to know is I want everyone to approach education from the perspective of like, would I want this for my child? Uh, and I think like I've seen that shift from. Uh, working in education, leading a school without children, mm, like personal yeah, children, yeah. Uh, to like now having a daughter that's about to be in kindergarten. Right. Uh, and so I think that sometimes we want certain things, but don't necessarily want them for like my personal child. Mm. And so like if it's, if it's not good enough for like my child, why should it be good enough for, for any child? Yeah. And so I think that's like what I think I want people to really think about and marinate on as we're working through like policies and how to change and how to improve things. It's a true community mindset. That's it right. Is. Yeah, for sure. Um, so kind of speaking a little bit to that, alluding to kind of some of the things that might be coming down the pike, I'm curious what qualities you think would make for an ideal um, new superintendent at MSES? Yeah, great question. Timely. <laughs> um, I think that there's a lot of qualities, right? And I think that we have a very diverse community and so everyone has their own kind of vision on what they want to look like and so what i really what as i've been thinking about like what would make an ideal candidate is uh someone who takes a servant leadership mindset to the work uh, i think that the superintendent needs to be in a position where they're looking to serve 
our teachers, our community, and most importantly, our students uh, with the idea that it's like not what's best for me, but what's best for the organization, what's best for our students. And so I think that's kind of the characteristic that I most highly value. Okay. That kind um, of rises to the top when you're thinking about like the solutions mindset that's that right. would be needed. Yeah. That's right. I mean, I joke and say uh, my wife might be, <laughs> might have all the right characteristics, uh, but I don't know if she likes that joke. Depending on the day or not. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Well, and I think that's so scalable. Uh, a superintendent is a leader of leaders in terms of leading the educators. And then, the, you know, you in turn as educators are leading future leaders leaders. Um, So there's just a compounding set of skills there that can really be forward thinking and shaping not only the way that our uh, schools feel right now, but the way that our students are going to turn out. Yeah, I don't I don't envy anyone who steps into the position because I think it's going to I think it's a very challenging position. So as I mentioned, it is uh, we have this diverse community and we have a lot of deep needs. Mm. And so it is hard to prioritize like which need do I work on first or like which multiple needs do I like figure out. And so I think it's a very challenging position, but I think someone needs to come in with the mindset of like, what can I do that's ultimately best for students uh, and really putting our students first in that thinking and in that model and really holding everyone within that organization accountable around that. Um, That's what I think is like a recipe, I guess, for success. I like that because it doesn't limit like a background or skill set or anything like that as long as you're coming to it. For the right reasons. Yeah, for the right reasons with the right, uh, what is it that your wife says? Keep it in sight or uh, yeah, don't lose sight. Don't lose, don't sight. lose yeah, sight. Yeah, yeah. So as long as yeah, that kind of bubbles to the top. Yeah, it's hard. It <laughs> it's is. I mean, it's tough. I mean, and with any, um, I feel like with great responsibility is great rewards mm-hmm. in that way, um, but it's also great risks. And so, I mean, you're you have to make sure that whatever happens. The, to your point, you're keeping the students first yep. because you can't gamble with an entire generation of Cannot. <laughs> leaders. Cannot. And then I hope that they have, whoever gets into that position, has the long enough runway to be able to execute that work and that vision because um, the, the challenges that we're facing didn't happen overnight, right? And the solutions or remedies aren't going to take effect overnight and it's going to take time. Something I'm curious about when you mentioned, you know, the solutions are a little bit long term. And I know that as an individual, I tend to get fickle and frustrated with, you know, not instant gratification of you know <laughs> changing the numbers of whatever it is I'm looking at. Um, but in a perfect world, uh, do you think that there are kind of unreasonable expectations put on how quickly the the tide can turn in regards to education, whether it's class like class sizes uh test scores um funding things like that i feel like a lot of times from what i see just as a general memphian it seems like the expectation is very immediate for education as a whole and i'm curious why that sector i think i know in some ways because again i just said you can't gamble with an entire you don't have you don't have 10 years to see if it works yeah the needs are urgent but the solutions maybe aren't necessarily that's right. I think that's a great way to put it. Wow. Oh, <laughs> Rebecca, thank you. R- write it down. <laughs> I love it. Uh, no, I think that's exactly right. Like, 
no one wants to wait for tomorrow for their children's health. No one wants to wait for tomorrow for their children's education, right? But like, unfortunately, sometimes things do take a long period of time. Uh, I mean, I see it like in my own kind of growing up and family, like my, my father was a first generation college graduate, right? And so like, it took time for his family who invest in education, like for him then to get there. And then like, for, in turn, like, for my siblings, like that was the expectation. Uh, and it just it takes time to f- fix a system that's like, slowly broken. Yeah. Right? And to your point, it didn't get there overnight. So it can't be fixed overnight, right. but it, I definitely understand the urgency and the need. It, it's, it's a, it's, it's a kind of a rock and a hard place, right? Yeah. Cause you want to move as fast as you possibly can, but you don't also want to give up midstream on something without fully understanding if it's, if it's working or working. Yeah. yeah. Some parts of the journey are a sprint and other parts are a marathon. And sometimes you're, you're running them at the same time. That's right. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful uh, that or I'm energized by the sprint pieces where we can see little wins along the way and trusting you know that the finish line is at the end of the marathon i I think the other thing to think about too is like because you found a solution in this like one environment doesn't mean that's a solution for every environment and and i think like in education it happens but in all industries right like we see it work in this city or we see it work even in this like population of schools or this community and we say like it worked here let's just do it replicate it and spread it out everywhere and the issue is like the needs of south memphis are very different than the needs of north memphis and like east memphis has very different needs and so like if you take something that works in one area and try to move it and it doesn't work that doesn't mean that's not a good solution for some people or some communities or some schools uh and so i think that's the other thing that's like often facing education is like we see something that has kind of worked and then everyone rushes towards it and then two years later like it didn't work so that's a terrible solution that's a terrible uh uh, idea and i think like we need to be i think sometimes we take like an axe when we really need to be taking like a scalp to some of these scalpel to some yeah and be like more yeah more nuanced it's not a one size fits all but it's also not like throw the baby out with the bathwater. how many metaphors can i fit into one (laughs) keep it going you do well (laughs) but yeah i find that really interesting yeah it's a it's a very complex venn diagram it seems like so something I wanted to make sure to ask you about is that you are a graduate of not only the New Memphis Embark program, but also the New Memphis Fellows program, which makes you in another elite set of group because not everybody has both of those diplomas, as it were. So I feel very elite. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I love all the praise I'm receiving Absolutely. today. <laughs> um, so but thank you for taking the time to... Um, to go through those programs and to invest in yourself and in your leadership. And I'm curious what your experience was in either or both. Yeah. So I, what I really liked about both of the programs is it took kind of a diverse group of people in terms of like really careers and career visions and put them into the same room and talked about like, how do we build and looked at like kind of social challenges as well as like, how do you build yourself? And what I really appreciated about it was I was able to learn different perspectives 
in ways that like I just didn't really even think about because someone lives in accounting every single day and like that's where their number like they went straight to numbers versus uh, someone who was working in marketing who went straight through to like what's the message going to be of this uh, and so it really like allowed me to expand my thinking around like problem solving and then really with the fellows program what I appreciated was um all the development it did on like a very personal level uh, because often when we get into our work, uh, especially in smaller organizations, we might not have those professional development opportunities. And so I think the fellows program really like provides those leadership and personal professional developments. Yeah, those are those are really important components. And I know some educators get more personal development opportunities than others. But one of the things that New Memphis has been focused on in the last few years is providing a little bit more of a support system for our educators outside of the classrooms from our teachers lounges, opportunities for educators to get together with their peers in a very safe space and talk about the challenge that they're facing that are specific to their sector. Um, I think, Anna, you can probably talk a little bit more about some of those opportunities that, that we offer for our educators. Um, but, uh, you know, Grant want to understand a little bit about, you know, why that's so important to be able to pour into yourself outside of the classroom. I just want to hear about the opportunities because well, ultimately, like whatever I say is less important than the opportunities that you're going to share. That's so funny. So with Stride, um, as Rebecca mentioned, it's for first, second and third year educators. I always say grade. It's not, that's not correct. <laughs> it's not just for first, second and third grade. It's for first, second and third year educators. So if you're a newer educator, um, Stride is for you. It helps you just like it says, get your stride as you're in the classroom. We provide professional development, not only only for, you know, making sure that you are taking care of yourself and understanding, you know, your own workflow as you um, are faced with many competing priorities, to your point, Grant, earlier. Um, but we also have things in stride called aid stations because you need some water along the way. And those are just some networking kind of fun social events for educators to kind of be in a space, whether it's Shelby Farms Park and doing, you know, canoeing or different stuff just to get out and about, see Memphis, see Memphis outside of the classroom. Awesome. Um, so what the ultimate goal for us is to retain educated educator talent, not only to the classroom, but also to Memphis. Um, so that is what Stride does. Um, we have a really fantastic program and a really good leader doing that. The director of that work is Erin Wendell. And she also does the Educator of Excellence Awards, which Grant just won, which offers a lovely award bonus um, for the honorees to make sure that you get the recognition because to your point, there aren't exactly a lot of those kind of raises, promotions, kind of pay structure like that, like built into the education system, which by the way, if anyone's listening who can fix that, you know, feel free to jump on that. Um, but we wanted to make sure that educators feel special, not just one week a year, but all year long. So we are working very hard to do that. And if teachers are interested, where do they go? How do they find out more information? Absolutely. So um, newmemphis.org, uh, you can find the programs tab would have the stride information there. Um, for teachers lounges, those are strictly like social events. And those are for any educators, uh, K through 12. You can be a seasoned veteran, you can be a newbie educator. And we have a couple of those every year. And they are they have a topic generally, um, so that 
but it is a safe space for educators to come and kind of, I don't want to say air, the airing of grievances, like the Festivus for us <laughs> Seinfeld fans, but like um, a way to kind of get together and know that you're among peers, but also to your point of the same like fellows or embark class, get different perspectives. Like, hey, I'm struggling with this. How are you dealing with that? And understanding that there's that camaraderie and that you're not alone as an educator. Sometimes it might feel like you're kind of out there slaying those dragons <laughs> by yourself. And so um, providing that network here in Memphis is something that's really important. So all of that can be found at newmemphis.org um, or you can send us an email over at info at newmemphis.org to learn more. I love it. Absolutely. So before we let you go, Grant, we sure. do have a really fun part of the interview process. It is my personal favorite part. Um, we'll, it is we'll, what, we'll see if it's my personal well, favorite. We will see. Um, <laughs> it's what we call, like to call a lightning round. Okay. Are you ready? It's going to be stream of conscious answers. Just the first thing that comes to your mind. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, mechanical pencil or regular pencil? A regular pencil. I'd like it. Okay. You have four folders. Red, blue, yellow, green. Four subjects. Math, science, history, English. Okay, so, uh, go. Which subjects go on which colored folder? Okay, I already forgot the colors. but <laughs> they're, they're like the green, main pride yeah. colors that you would green, think of. Green, history. Uh, oh. No, I'll take it back now. <laughs> Math is green for money. Okay, uh, okay. Uh, science is uh -huh. yellow. Was yellow an option? Yeah, it is. Great. <laughs> I have no reason for that. Okay. Uh, uh, social it's studies or history, history yes. is going to be red because of often bloodshed with war. Oh, okay. And then what's by default? English. Blue English, is English is blue. Okay. Interesting. We ask a lot of our educators that same question, and everybody has a different reasoning for what color is what there you subject, go. and I love it. Um, the best off-campus lunch in Berkeley. Um, I don't eat off campus very often, okay. uh, but I would probably say, uh, central is probably one of my favorite to go it's to. It's a good, it's a good one. What was your favorite year of school as a student and as a teacher? Uh, so as a teacher, I taught seventh grade and loved seventh grade. Uh, it was just like sixth grade. They're still coming in and like figuring out yeah, who they time. are. Right. <laughs> and then eighth grade, they're too cool for school because they're going to be in middle school. But seventh grade, you get like just that perfect like middle part of both of those. So seventh grade, uh, as a teacher, uh, as a seeing over in elementary school uh probably the tales kindergarten and fifth grade because uh, you you get to see kindergartners come in uh and just like looking at the world and figuring it out and then to see them as fifth graders like writing five paragraph essays is really interesting and really fun um and then for personal i don't really know if i had a favorite grade you just like all of I, them i generally liked school I like to hear what, it's what, a good quality but, of but an when, educator. I know it's my lightning round, but what is your favorite? Did you have a favorite teacher in a grade? Uh, I had a high school teacher who was a social studies teacher and was a coach um, that I still keep in touch with. Uh, and he, he had a big influence, so I appreciated him. Oh, I love that. I had lots of good grades. I like you. Um, I enjoyed school. I'm a lifelong student at heart and I would have stayed in school forever if I had had unlimited funds yeah. <laughs> to stay in graduate school and just learn all the things my whole life. So I tried to parlay that into journalism just nice. to keep learning. 
I also loved learning and a little something every year that that was special and stood out to me. But my second grade year with Miss Harms at Gramwood Elementary, who I am still in contact with. Uh, oh, I love it. That was just, she made mag- learning magical. It was so much fun. So memorable. I'm like picturing Miss Frizzle right now when you said like <laughs> ma- making learning magical. Um, okay, so what is a piece of advice for new educators? Um, I think come in willing to be open to feedback and support. Um, I think that is, at least with Aurora, I think that's the biggest uh, piece of advice I give our teachers. But I think in general, uh, being willing to be vulnerable uh, and say, like, it's really uncomfortable to stand up in front of, like, six adults and, like, practice teaching a lesson. But, like, that's the way that you're going to get better at it before you go teach it in front of 25 students. Yeah. Practical advice. Yeah. And I think it applies to not only leaders in the classroom, but also just anyone who's taking on a new role. Um, to be yeah. willing to take feedback is, is pretty valuable. It is. Um, do you have a favorite annual Memphis event or activity? I like... Well, I think it's shifted now that I have kids a little bit. Uh, um, I think that in the spring, when the weather's like starting to finally turn, uh, just anything outside. Yeah. Uh, the allergies are killing me now. Yeah. Same, <laughs> so same, it's been same, tough. Same. But in general, I think just that when that weather is just turning from like in the mornings where it's kind of crisp, but you know it's going to burn off, uh, and you can just be outside all day without like getting burnt or the mosquitoes eating mosquitoes or feeling like you took a shower because the humidity (laughs) is 150 degrees uh that springtime is my favorite i love it and the days start to get longer too so even with kiddos it's like the perfect blessing i'm like yes yeah we go a little different places now that (laughs) (laughs) a four-year-old and two-year-old yeah um what is a quality that you look for in a new hire um i think we've talked a lot about it but i think just someone who's willing to work hard and step in and just take the work and put children first and figure it out yeah figure it out (laughs) (laughs) figure it out sounds so harsh no (laughs) well i mean literally like i don't know if you you don't seem like you're a big project runway fan but you could be you could be um i don't know and Uh, i've seen the show i won't say like yeah so tim gunn i mean he literally it was like his tagline and from then on i was like okay make it work like this is quite literally the materials you have been given they are subpar but you have to make it work i like it (laughs) you have to create in a full ensemble with it um so well i think you know i think that was a, a great end note to to wrap up the conversation you know you were putting in the work Thank you for putting in the work, for showing up, for doing what you do in the community, not just in your school. Um, We are so thrilled to have you as part of the New Memphis family, uh, as one of our alums and as one of our educators of excellence. And I am just excited to see what's next for you. Absolutely. And I would also echo um, thank you to you and your wife for continuing to pour um, much of your efforts and your lives into the Memphis education system. We, We very much appreciate it. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I want to thank all of uh, our teachers at Aurora and all of our staff uh, because I get to come on and like do the show and represent people, but they're really the ones who are like doing the hard work on a day in, day basis. Yeah. Uh, and so you, I'm teachers. just so appreciative of So big them. round of applause That's for right. our educators. That's Yay. Right. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much. And till next time, Grant. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Bye. What a great conversation, Rebecca. That one was, I always enjoy um, taking kind of a 
A look back at my time in school with educators and Grant was definitely no exception. I know. And it was great to be able to look back, but also to look forward. Grant is doing such incredible work in the community as are all of our educators. And I don't know about you, but I am pretty excited to celebrate our teachers for Teacher Appreciation Week. I'm so excited. Um, I've heard uh, through the grapevine that this is one of the favorite weeks of all from all of our educators, which is funny because I would have thought it would have been a break, but I think this is even better than a break. So getting some of that much love TLC that they deserve all year long and they get lavished upon hopefully this week. Um, and we had a great teacher's lounge last week at Fancy's Fish House, which was oh so fun um, to kind of kick off this celebration. So it's been really fun. But yeah, we have a whole week of giveaways over on our Instagram at the New Memphis. So be sure to check that out if you have not, if you are a teacher or educator. And then um, in addition, we have an exciting event coming up on May 16th, Rebecca. Yeah, we get to educate the community a little bit. Oh, I love it. I see what you did there. Just a little segue. I love it. (laughs) Um, So we get to raise a glass as well as educate the community about the culture of Memphis. We are switching up our Celebrate What's Right formatting this month with a happy hour rather than a luncheon. We're going to be out at Shelby Farms Park in the FedEx Event Center at sunset talking to some of the city's most exciting ambassadors. Uh, We're going to have some conversations going on in a new format. It's a relay format, so not just a group of folks sitting on a stage. All of our panelists are going to interview each other, which I am so excited about. I feel like I've never been to an event that does this. I know a few other people on the staff have, but I'm super intrigued to see all of the juicy things that are going to come from this. I'm like super hyped about this one. Yeah, this is going to be one you won't want to miss. And we're going to have our MC will be Kanji Anthony, great friend of the podcast and friend of New Memphis. And we're going to have some exciting conversations going on between David Quarles interior designer Tara Stringfellow, who's a novelist, the author of Memphis. We're going to have Collage Dance Collective, our friend Kevin Thomas, and uh, Pat Mitchell Worley from Soulsville, and uh, also Esso Tolson, who is just an incredible Memphis artist. And they're going to be interviewing each other live on stage while you all enjoy beverages and a little... Uh, a little nosh. A little nosh, some hors d'oeuvres. Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly... I know I said I was hyped about it, but I really, I can't express how excited I am to see this kind of level of Memphis ambassador and then to hear the kind of stuff that they're going to ask each other in that relay style interview is going to be something totally unique that I don't feel like has been done before. So we're really excited. And again, like Rebecca mentioned, you will not want to miss it. Absolutely not. So you can head to newmemphis.org slash events to grab your tickets. And special thank you to our sponsors for this event, First Horizon Foundation and Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee for making it all possible. And I'm also really excited to see the sunset over there at Shelby Farms Park. It should be beautiful. Let's raise a glass to all of that. Let's do it. Till next week. Bye. Bye. This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.